So I so love the audiograms that my production company chooses. Shout out to Chris Lanning and his team. They always pick the best nuggets from our conversation. And this one from John Narrell is absolutely amazing. And the topic is around you. Sometimes mid-career professionals that I'm talking to right now, and perhaps even if you are a C-suite leader, you may have had trouble along the way and struggled to get the results that you want. Especially in performance reviews, sometimes those are scary and we don't get the outcome that we want. But what John talks about in this conversation is that we need to ourselves have a framework for what we want to talk about and the outcome we want to achieve. And part of it is having the data and the facts for how we had performed and your own assessment because it is a two-way street. Yes, it is an opportunity to get feedback from your boss, but you too have to put forth the thought on what it was that you did to provide value to the company in the situation. Just know this is a mindset shift. You are accountable for the outcome. Even if you feel like, "Mm, I may not be able to control the entire conversation, you can control your contribution. And so, What I want to mention is that even at times when you are seeking feedback, perhaps it's in a performance review, even if it doesn't go in a direction that you want or you don't get the feedback that you seek from your boss, just know and be confident that the framework we're going to share with you in this interview, you will have the power to control your contribution and you can make a decision whether to continue with your current situation or move on. But at least you have the confidence to know how to drive a meaningful conversation. So please join me for an absolutely amazing interview with John Narrow. There is nothing more empty, in my opinion, than when a boss says, keep doing what you're doing. Because we go into these performance appraisal meetings, we're hungry for feedback. We're looking for that, yes, we want to be validated and affirmed and acknowledged that we are doing great work. Let's not overlook that or diminish that. But we always have these areas for growth. And when we can approach the conversation from facts versus fake, the evidence-based moments that we can say where I've driven this result I led this initiative. I brought this project in under budget. I've conducted so many meetings, whatever that is. When we can prepare with all of those tangible data points, we can have a much better evidence-based type conversation. Welcome to the Drop-In CEO Podcast. I'm Deb Coviello, and as the Drop-In CEO, I drop into businesses and assume the CEO role to enhance the human element and increase the results they achieve. This podcast is about bringing you conversations with expert guests who have achieved their greatest results built on a strong foundation of purpose, values, and elevating people. If you're a business leader, entrepreneur, or even just getting started in business, join us as we build the skills you need to achieve your goals. 
Hello, I am Deb Cobiello, founder of the Drop-In CEO brand, and I am so grateful that you've joined us on another episode of the podcast where week after week, I speak to amazing leaders who have done so much for others and we get to share their insights with you. If you do like this program, please rate, review, subscribe, tell others the downloads are increasing. I am so grateful. And this episode is sponsored by Illumination Partners. We help C-suite leaders take control of their careers and get promoted. And today I am honored to share the mic with my amazing guest, John Narrell. John has been developing talent for over 25 years, and he has served as an educator, instructional coach, supervisor, educational administrator, and training director. And today, John owns John Narrell Coaching, where he helps mid-career professionals figure out what's next for their careers by building a professional GPS. He is also the author of Show Up, Six Strategies to Lead a More Energetic and Impactful Career and Your Mid-Career GPS, Four Steps to Figure Out What's Next. I am honored to have this conversation with you and for my listeners, John. Welcome to the show. Deb, thank you so much for having me. And I am just honored to spend some time sharing the mic with you on your podcast today. Thank you. Thank you again. And just a little bit for my listeners, we were introduced to a mutual colleague, Dave. David Schreiner Khan, an amazing human, the value of the network, bringing people together to create great content and conversations. And John and I are similar in the work we want to do. There are 8 billion people on this universe that can be served and potentially could use our work. So a lot of what John is going to share is similar, but I am so looking forward to also learning from him. But before we dive into your journey, bowling, you are very good at the sport, but I never even really got into when we got to know each other. How did you get into it? And please share, where are you going with this now? Thanks so much. So first and foremost, I have met some of the most amazing people through the sport of bowling, some of whom I am just deeply honored to call family of choice. I think anytime we get a chance to engage in a sport, those things happen. But my dad was the person who introduced me to the sport of bowling. And he did when I was five years old. And it was the one sport that he taught me that I just fell in love with. There was something about stepping up on the approach and throwing a ball and ball 60 feet down a lane to knock over some pins that just felt like it was the perfect fit. And while I played other sports in school, bowling was the one thing that I really was good at. And so growing up, all I wanted to be was a professional bowler. And spending Saturday afternoons watching the Pro Bowlers Tour on ABC TV and seeing how the tour had changed... I'm very thankful and grateful that my parents said to me, you will get an education first, and then if you want to bowl, you can. And it truly was the best advice because as the tour has changed and evolved over the years, big shout out to the men and women who bowl nationally full-time, but it's just really, really hard to, in my opinion, make a living when the money is better, but it's not ultimately where we'd like to see it. So for me, what's been great throughout my career is the regional tour. 
the Professional Bowlers Association has a very active regional program that competes 12 months a year. And basically what it is, is we work our jobs Monday to Friday, and then Friday afternoons, we find ourselves at the bowling center for practice session and pro-ams, qualifying's on Sunday, Saturday finals are on Sunday. And then we go back to our Monday to Friday type jobs and it's phenomenal competition. Like I said, it's some of the the best people I've ever met. And so I am very thankful that at 52 years of age, I'm still able to compete and active on the senior tour. And just actually a few weeks ago, got back from Las Vegas for competing in a PBA regional invitational tournament. So I'm looking forward to another great year. So I am honored to be amidst a famous athlete, or at least it's what we do. And I am grateful for that. But just one more quick question again. I'm recording this and I can actually see John and his set. There is a bowling pin behind you. What does that represent? Yeah. So my best friend gave me this bowling pin as a Christmas gift one year. It's an antique wooden bowling pin that is made by Brunswick. I'm very fortunate to be on Brunswick staff. So it has a special meaning there, but it's just one of those antique bowling pins that the pin boys used to use and set up on the lanes and everything before we had automatic pin setters and before we had laminates all over the pins and things like that. So it's just a nice reminder that over my shoulder that that that's still a huge part of my life, but it's a really grounding piece as well because my lessons that I have learned from bowling and bowling out on tour and even coaching people with bowling is just always a constant reminder of who I am. They talk about work-life balance and separating the two, but they blend so well. Sometimes our personal activities and the relationships in the community we build there, we can and should bring them into our work life in terms of how we connect with people, treat people. So beautiful story. But John, this is all about you. I want the people to get to know you a little bit more. You've done some amazing work. Tell us a bit about your journey and how and why you got into this work and how are you impacting people now? Thanks for that, Deb. I had a 25-year career in education. I started off my career teaching in a private school. And then after really some much thought and reflection, because I got my bachelor's degree in psychology, and I thought, you know, if I want to teach, I'm going to go back and, and get my certification. So little quick bowling connection. I happened to be working in the bowling industry at the time, and my manager's wife was a sixth grade middle school teacher who would come into the bowling center and tr- share stories. And I was like, I need to go back and be a teacher. So I got my master's degree in teaching. And for 14 years of my career, I taught in a small district in northern New Jersey called Oakland, not Oakland, California, but Oakland, New Jersey, next to the Real Housewives, but that's a whole nother podcast. (laughs) And I taught middle school mathematics, and I loved it. And one of the things I loved about math was that it was very evidence-based. Two plus two is four. It's not five. There's a reason why it's four. Things fit, things connect. And I loved, loved working with students who in particular found math to be difficult at some point while they were middle schoolers, be it the kids I taught algebra to or the kids I just taught sixth, seventh, eighth grade math to. And part of where I saw my career transitioning, Deb, was I started doing more leadership work within the department, instructional coaching, department coordination, And when my supervisor retired, I moved into his role as a district coordinator. But there was a part of me that felt empty. There was a part of me, I remember the day I was teaching a lesson on multiplying fractions. 
And this voice inside of my head said, dear God, you cannot do this the rest of your life. You've got to do something different. And as I was teaching the lesson, and the lesson was good, I kind of had it on autopilot, you know, and I'm teaching the lesson. And that voice kept getting louder and louder as the weeks progressed. And I thought, well, what would this look like? And so I thought about department chairs and I thought about professional development and instructional coaching. And this, I guess, is where my personal life and my work life collided. During that whole time, I met my now husband on vacation in Provincetown, Massachusetts, and we were dating long distance for two years. And because he is a federal employee, it didn't make sense for him to move. I said, look, I will come to DC if I get a job. And I thought, gosh, this is the perfect time. I'm almost 40. It's a perfect opportunity for me to find that job that's going to help me work more with adults. And I was very fortunate that I found a job as a professional development specialist with the District of Columbia Public Schools. I supervised 21 instructional coaches across 13 middle schools. And that was the pivotal point in my career where I saw myself out of the classroom and into more training, administrative, supervisory type roles. And then from there, it was a job working for the state superintendent where I worked in assessment. And then for the last five years of my education career, I worked at an educational nonprofit. We were writing test assessments for students all across the country. And very quickly, as I was on that job, my director noticed that my people skills were good. My connection and communication skills were good. My coaching skills were starting to become apparent. And in a really powerful conversation one day, about three months after I started, she said, I am overworked. I am overloaded. I have a 26-member team. I can't serve them well. Will you help me? And for her as a leader, it was such a place of power and awareness for her to say, I can't do this the way I'm doing it. Here's why I hired you. And so I moved into this direct support role. I was the lead team manager. We ended up with a team of 28 people. And then after a couple of reorgs, moved into a training and staffing direction role that I just really, truly enjoyed while I was there. Your story is amazing. And there are many insights, but there are a couple that came through very strong for me. Two of them. I'll hit the first one. Voices in your head. Now, not saying you're crazy or anything like that. (laughs) Some might. (laughs) (laughs) But you know what? Sometimes when we're moving in our career, these voices talk to us and we just don't let them open the door. We keep them at bay and we don't listen to them. And we waste a lot of time perhaps, in not listening more and starting to think and consider what should you be doing with that. So my thought for anybody that's listening is if something is not right, whether it's in your gut, in your head, in your heart, if you get palpitations when you get excited about something or regret something, I would ask that you start listening a little bit more to your body and what your head is saying, because that is what makes us human and different from other parts and other species is listen to those voices you might be destined to do something different. There is one other thing that I thought was so powerful was when you had the opportunity to have a powerful conversation with an amazing boss that saw your potential. I have seen so many professionals that 
their bosses see something in them that they're not ready to see or don't acknowledge. And they keep saying, no, 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 not me. No, no, I'm not ready for that. And that negative mindset of just holding your own self back versus somebody saying, come forward with me. You can do so much more. There's something in that that I think people need to listen to what the universe is saying external to the voices in your head. Because if you're saying it in your head, and the universe is saying something to you as well, you need to go with it or find a way. I appreciate that so much, Deb. And as we talk about parallel works and the work that you do as the drop-in CEO, you bring up this whole point about executive awareness or leadership awareness. The, The piece that I didn't share in the story was, obviously, for someone to have that awareness, there's a lot of things that happen. When I had interviewed for that job, It was a job as a senior test developer. So I was basically going to be writing mathematics items for students across the country. And I'll never forget that interview because it was a half-day interview. We had to to take a little bit of an assessment at the start. And I remember thinking, I bombed this. Like all the little nuances that happened in assessment, like I just bombed it. And I met with the senior vice president and that was okay. It was fine. But like, it was just, there was something about the whole entire day that didn't feel right. And at that moment, I was like, I could either bag it and leave or I can just shift my energy a little bit and see what I can salvage out of this interview. So I go into interview with her and I went in with this attitude of like, I'm just going to let it fly. Like, this is what you're going to get. And we went through the interview and she said to me, why do I hire you? And because I use humor as a deflection, I went for the joke. And I said, I spent 14 years at a district in Northern New Jersey. I spent 14 months at DCPS. I spent 14 months at the state superintendent's office. I'm really just trying to get to 15 one way or another. Will you give me a job? And that's exactly what happened. There was this like little bit of an awkward laugh. And at that point, I said what to this date has been the best interview answer I've ever said. And I said, all joking aside, here's why you hire me. Pretty sure I bombed that assessment, whatever you were looking for. But my math skills are good. You can train me up. I'm not worried about that. I said, while my content knowledge is good and I know I can come in and help you, here's really why you hire me. You hired me because I know how to build teams. I know how to repair dysfunctional teams. I know how to have difficult conversations. You can put me in front of a client and never have to worry. And if that is a need that I can fill within your organization, that is why you hire me. And that all came back three months after I got hired when she sat in my office and looked at me and said, here's why I hired you. Oh my. <laughs> so that's for me is one of those chill moments because there was just so much in that story that you shared with me. Because when I also mentor some people that need to have difficult conversations or they need to advocate for themselves, you just exhibited or modeled several techniques that are so important. Like for instance, laughter, laughter, that little giggle, whether it's from a source of nervousness or energy or cockiness or what have you, it's almost that very easy icebreaker, a joke, a giggle, whatever it might be. And then what you just did was just such a powerful affirmation. You didn't say what you weren't. You said, I probably bombed. You said that with affirmation and knowing that you say, you know what, you can, I'm a, a 
quick learner. I can learn. I know this. I will do this. I believe all these affirmation words. Some of the leaders that I engage with have the negative mindset and use those words, the N apostrophe T. I'm not this. I can't do that. I've never done that before. You came in with such veracity of I am, I know, I can, I will. And you just so powerful to get your point. And some people don't feel confident enough to be able to put yourself forward in such a strong position. So great technique. And I hope you're teaching that to a lot of people. I am. Thank you. It's one of those things where when we're so clear and clean, I I can't emphasize the clean part. When we are clear and we are clean about the value we provide to an organization, it's what I like to call how we use our genius. It's that thing that we do better than anybody else. My, My department chair said to me years ago, he said, look, you're a great teacher. You're doing really great work. He goes, God forbid you walk out of this building and get hit by a school bus. We're going to be really sorry you got killed, but I need to fill your spot. You are replaceable. And he's like, so so never forget that. Like there's that piece of humility there. But when we are so clear and clean about the value we can provide, it's where we shift conversations. To your point, we don't use those N apostrophe T words because we're so clear and clean about who we are, what we do, why it is valuable, and we make an offer to a company by our application and our interviews to see how we can help them. I just want to share a quick story. I had the good fortune of being invited to speak at an event, Stepping Into Your Power. And all three of us as speakers shared our stories and how we ascended to the roles we had. But I will tell you, when I started saying, how many here (laughs) have had those negative voices? I said, get rid of the N apostrophe T. Start using this affirmation in the language that you choose because one, it changes your body energy as well as how people perceive you and the head nods. And I will say the demographics, we're all women, but I'm sure there are men. Amen. They were saying, yes, 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 we have done that. So the sooner that anybody who's listening to this conversation, start making a few changes in the words you select when you come forward to any of those interactions can make all the difference on how they perceive you. So I'd love to just go more into your work, John. You recently put out a LinkedIn post about a webinar that you were involved in, it, and it was four tips on how to have better performance conversations. It's so important because some of the people I have, they go into a performance review or they ask for feedback, they get fine, a four-letter word, and you can't do anything with that. But Sometimes our leaders just don't know how to do it. They check the box, they put something on a piece of paper, and then they're done. But we really need to own and drive the conversation. I would love for you to share some of your insights. You are spot on. There is nothing more empty, in my opinion, than when a boss says, keep doing what you're doing. Because we go into these performance appraisal meetings, we, we're hungry for feedback. We're looking for that, that yes, we want to be validated and affirmed and acknowledged that we are doing great work. Let's not over or look at or diminish that. But we always have these areas for growth. And when we can approach the conversation from facts versus fake. The evidence-based moments that we can say where I've driven this result, I led this initiative, I brought this project in under budget, 
I've conducted so many meetings, whatever that is, when we can prepare with all of those tangible data points, we can have a much better evidence-based type conversation. The other thing is, is that going into that meeting, and I'm talking more from the employee's perspective as opposed to the manager's, but if we just take a moment and brainstorm all of the questions we would like to have answered as a result of that meeting, brain dump all of those questions out, and then go back and look at those questions and think, how can I reword it? How can I make it more specific? How can I make it more clear for them to answer? We help the manager or the evaluator at in that performance appraisal meeting because we truly come from the table from a place of curiosity and preparedness to communicate a message that says, this is important to me. And in the webinar, I talked about this, but there's one question and one phrase that I think is so helpful. And as coaches, Deb, we do this all the time. Tell me more. If we just hold the space for them and they say, look, I thought you did a really good job leading this project. The client was really happy. Tell me more. Get them to open up a little bit more. And the other question to ask, it's my favorite one-word question, and it doesn't start with a W, and, and just get them to talk even more. Because I had interviewed somebody on my podcast, and they had shared that they were called a doormat during their performance appraisal meeting. And you can only imagine when, whenever we've gotten or somebody gets some negative feedback during their performance appraisal, that there's all sorts of emotions and thoughts that goes around in our head. And we want to get defensive and we want to fight and we want to argue. And if we just pause and we breathe and we say something like, tell me more, or and gives us that opportunity to pause, process, and reflect so we can come from a place of competence and confidence when we go to ask or say something next. Sometimes these simple techniques to slow the mind, slow the conversation down so we can think rationally about the next step and what information or result we want to get. So important because I will tell you, being from the East Coast, (laughs) I'm a fast talker and I find when I start speaking faster, I actually start flubbing up my words. But slowing things down allows you to construct your thoughts, remain logical, remove a little of the emotion so we can ultimately get the result that we want. Oh my, but I have a follow-on question. Now, I love the way you had the affirmation in, I led this, I developed that, et cetera. What do you do with the individual that's a bit humble, perhaps culturally, they don't like to use the I, they like to say we, the team, et cetera, maintain who they are, but still advocate for themselves. How do you help somebody through that I versus we and how they position themselves? It is one of the most challenging things with heart-centered leaders and professionals. It's just so easier for them to come from the collective as opposed to the singular. And that's where I think, and I know that a really good manager or leader can hold that space for them and say, I understand what the team did, but I want to know what you specifically did. And for the employee to shift their mindset a little bit, it really comes down to ownership. What were the things that they can attribute that were directly impacted 
because of their leadership, because of their ownership, because of what they specifically did, that they can tag what they're responsible for. There is never going to be anyone who's going to be a bigger cheerleader than you. It's why a lot of times in my work, like I really like to spend time with my clients on what are their thoughts, what's coming up for them, what's their brain telling them, all those type of things. Because sometimes little exercises like doing the brain dump or putting things down on paper or in a Google Doc or notepad file, wherever they want to capture it, but it really lets them put a spotlight on exactly what's going on in their brain and finding those things that are now down on paper to say, when it says we, how do I make that an I? How do I take that line that I've written and what am I directly responsible for? What am I in ownership of to help shift that conversation a little bit? But it takes time. I would like to acknowledge this maybe from my experience where that works. I was in a startup optical networking company, mid-career, about 35. I was a manager and I went to the president to ask her to be a director. And I was nervous. I put everything on a three by five card. If we still use three by five cards, maybe it's post-it notes or your phone now. But when I was done and I said, this is why I want the promotion, he smiled. And he said, one thing that's so hard for leaders is one, you are good at advocating for the people on your team. But what's hardest is to advocate for yourself. And because whether I was ready for the role or not, I did get the role. And I have found more times than not, even if we're nervous about asking for self, 75% of the time you still get something out of the conversation, whether it's information or the result you desire. So just know with a coach, build that confidence, know your value. You may get what you want. Well said. So more about you. I want to know what's in your future. We've never talked about this. I understand the work you do now and continuing to evolve and try to impact more. But where do you see yourself down the road? What kind of impact do you want to make on the world? For me, there is such a larger conversation that needs to be had around where our overall job and career satisfaction is. We have seen so much that has happened because of the pandemic, the great resignation that we saw in August of last year. And so for me, it's really about finding ways to push this conversation a little bit forward around how we want to show up in our lives and careers what that means for us as professionals. Where do we set ground rules, have intentional conversations, own where we are, welcome new opportunities, use our genius, protect and promote our brand. And one of the ways I see myself expanding that conversation right now is doing some more outreach with colleges and universities, particularly for executive MBA programs, to really push this conversation at what is without question an exciting challenging, and empowering time in their career as they step into who they are as a leader and the impact they want to make, if I can just have a small piece of that conversation, I will without question be really, really happy with the work that I've done. Thank you for that. But I am a fan and I am writing that same journey because it starts there. I mean, it does start in the home, in the community with the conversation and the values we build that we bring forward. But, you know, so often in higher education, and I can't say because I've 
simply participated, I've not been a teacher, we're given the skills, the technical skills about what to do. But we don't necessarily talk about ownership of self and what you want out of the relationship. And, and, and the dynamics has changed. Yes, we provide services when we go into an organization, but the power has shifted a little bit. And we need to take that a little bit about what we want. Now, not necessarily we need a union or anything like that, but we have to have personal accountability for our GPS and where we're going. I love your brand. I love your brand, your podcast, your book. It's just your mid-career GPS. Tell us more about the book. You wrote it, impact it's had on others, maybe impact on you in the writing. Tell me more. I remember when I was getting ready to write the book, the book was actually going to take a very, very different direction. I remember scrapping the entire manuscript going, I want to write this book. And, And the book that came out was really after all of the years of working with my clients and and my own personal journey and and walking through things that happened with my friends and my colleagues, building a mid-career GPS is centered on four key steps. It's about preparation. It's about getting really clear around your mindset, your strengths, your value. It is about positioning how you strategically position yourself in the marketplace now more so than ever. It is about your resume and your LinkedIn, but it's also about how you promote who you are and what you do, how you network, how you interview, how you come from that place of value and service that is going to get people interested in who you are and what you do rather than just finding you interesting. And then the last piece is how we show up. I took a revisited or revamped look at my show up six strategies and pulled them into the GPS because every single person I work with, they will say to me, I know I need to show up differently. What does that look like? What does that mean? So it's one of those buzzwords that people throw out and thinking that everybody's just going to know what you mean. It's like when people say, well, I'm a team player. I don't know if you play on a team the same way I do. So let's get clear on that, right? What I found out that the more I started coaching on what it meant to show up and also what it meant in my own experiences was it was these six things, setting ground rules, having intentional conversations, owning where you are, welcoming new opportunities, using your genius, protecting and promoting your brand. And when I coach my clients around those strategies, their clarity around what it means for them to show up. I have a client who is an amazing executive with a Fortune 50 company who throughout the course of the time we work together in helping her navigate her director role, the key thing she will say over and over and over again was, John, you coached me on how to have an intentional conversation. An intentional conversation doesn't mean that we walk out of the room and we're hugging and cheery and there's unicorns and rainbows and all those things. An intentional conversation means that two people sat down to have a conversation that by the end of that talk, they have moved their relationship forward. Whether you choose a thought that it's good, bad, or whatever, you have moved the relationship forward. And for this particular client, by having those intentional conversations, they got everything they needed to know exactly where they wanted their career to go, where the organization saw them, and then were able to make it happen. 
John, I am such a fan of your work. I mean, in my head, I am singing. I am saying amen. I am so grateful that there is you. And hopefully you can continue to reach and impact so many. But I want people to know more about your work and connect with you. Any last words or things? Because I want people to check out your work. Any last actionable thoughts or ways people can connect with you? Yeah, thank you, Deb. And and right back at you. I'm so glad that David connected us. I'm a huge fan of what you do and, and, and everything else. And I just look forward to growing our professional relationship moving forward. So, so I'm going to leave you with this. Without question, how we show up matters as leaders, as followers, no matter what job ever it is that you do, we all have a way that we show up and the way that we show up matters because it allows us to make the impact and the difference we want in our lives and careers. So if people are interested in in learning a little bit more about that, the easiest way for them to do is go to my website, johnnarrell.com. Right on the homepage, there is a way to download all of the free resources that are connected to my book, Your Mid-Career GPS obviously want them to go to Amazon and buy the book, but you can get all the free resources that are there that includes a job search tracker, a pro-con list, all of the reflection questions that are there in the book. And then right there on my website as well, you'll see things about my private Facebook group. You can go to the services tab and catch the webinar that we just talked about. You'll see all those things there. And without question, connect with me on LinkedIn. I would love to get a message from your listeners that say, hey, I heard you on Deb's Drop-In CEO podcast. I would love to connect and build and grow our relationship on LinkedIn as well. John, you've been amazing. Grateful for knowing you in the introduction. I do ask my listeners, please check out John's work. And I just want to wish you continued success and hoping that you will continue to impact so many people. Thank you so much. Thank you, Deb. Thank you for listening to the Drop-In CEO Podcast. My new book, CEO's Compass, will change the way you think about leadership, navigate rapid transformation, and elevate the leaders of tomorrow. If you're feeling off track, the CEO's Compass Assessment will guide you to peace of mind in days, not months. You can learn more about the CEO's Compass by visiting my website at dropinceo.com. Now go out and lead, inspire, and achieve your goals.